This case is another example of how comorbid medical conditions can impact disease management. The next patient is a 54-year-old woman who was diagnosed in 2004 with a 1.5-centimeter triple-negative node-negative tumor for which she received six cycles of dose-dense AC as part of a CALGB protocol, and the patient did well for a year when she presented with lesions under the sternum and in the right hilum and with extensive liver and lung mets. To begin, Dr. Schwartz commented on the issue of quality control in this patient's ER and HER2 assays. The estrogen receptor was done at our hospital by our pathology department. The HER2 knew the immunochemical stain. Obviously, the HERCEPT test is done on site, and we have enough volume at our center, certainly, to trust it. And then the fishes are sent down to a reference lab. Any sort of general guidelines about looking, particularly when you have an ER and or HER2 negative, about you know when do you get another look at that? Well, so I will say that, you know, more and more I re-biopsy and re-biopsy in the metastatic setting. And I guess she did not have a biopsy at that point or you know, did? she did have a biopsy of, of the, the sternum. sternum. So that was done and that was also looked at in terms of ER and HER2. Mm-hmm. So, you know, given that, I think that an initial diagnosis with triple negative disease a repeat biopsy of her sternum when she had metastatic disease, again, showing HER2 negativity and ER negativity, you know, that's enough. What about quality control, though, in terms of avoiding false negatives? How do you sort of prevent that from happening? Well, you know, I think the key issue here is knowing the lab that you're working with. And, you know, in much the same way that we were saying before that we need to rely upon our colleagues in radiology and imaging because we can't read those images. We can't read the pathology slides ourselves. We have to work with people that we're comfortable with. I think the one thing we can do is when a result doesn't make sense, we can say to our pathology colleague, this doesn't make sense. So, you know, the case of the woman with lobular cancer that's ER negative, a woman with low-grade ER positive breast cancer that's said to be HER2 positive, which would be highly unusual. But apart from that, I think that the key is really working with a lab that you trust. So when you saw her then, she had lung and liver mets in addition to the sternal lesion that had been radiated. What happened? Yeah, this was at a point in time that, you know, obviously she needed systemic therapy, but it was at a time where there was information about the benefit of bevacizumab, avastin, but it was not readily available. We did have a clinical trial, though, that on both arms of the study, the patients did get bevacizumab. So she was placed on a study and was randomized to weekly taxol and avastin. And she received eight cycles of treatment through June 2007, achieved a complete radiologic response and normalization of the CA15-3 value. At that point, I made a decision to take her off study because of really a lot of difficulties with side effects, both peripheral neuropathy and hypertension that I was having difficulty controlling. And of course, with imaging studies and a tumor marker that's normal, it felt like the right thing to do at the time. How often do you see that, Eric, where it's difficult to control hypertension with Avastin? It's relatively uncommon because, you know, in fact, with Avastin, although hypertension occurs, it's certainly not the majority of the patients who get hypertension. And generally speaking, it is relatively easy to control. I think, you know, in the metastatic setting, 
most of us worry less about hypertension because of the fact that it can be controlled, then potentially we will worry about it in the adjuvant setting, where in fact, you know, one of the key issues is going to be to see that not only we can control hypertension, but that when therapy is stopped, it resolves so we don't have you know, women on antihypertensive therapy and with an elevated blood pressure for years and years. So where is she right now? All right. She was watched for three months and on repeat imaging, off of treatment, redeveloped new lung and liver disease. At that point, neuropathy was still a complaint in someone who works and had limitations related to neuropathy, and I elected to start her on treatment with Zolota and Avastin. So this was her second round of Avastin. The pretty much standard treatment, three grams a day, two weeks on, one week off, and the Avastin at 15 milligrams per kilogram every three weeks. But while on that treatment, she developed hypertension, but more than that, she also developed swelling of her legs, her arms, diuretics didn't help, she had very significant proteinuria, didn't really change her creatinine, but I really felt I was causing more of a problem with the Avastin than it was potentially worth and continued her on Zolota alone and tolerating it fine. But on most recent follow-up just several weeks ago on the Zolota as a single agent has progressed further. So she's aware of that? She's aware of that. Did you discuss that with her today in terms of what the next step might be? Absolutely. What was that discussion like? So first thing, we wanted to get an understanding of how she felt now, and she feels perfectly well, okay, and is working full-time, and then wanted to get some perspective of what side effects were more acceptable to her or less acceptable to her. What kind of work does she do? She works in a bank. What was your take on where she's at and you know what the next step might be? Well, you know, she feels entirely well, which is in many ways wonderful and in other ways a little bit of a challenge because in these settings, you know, this is now the third line treatment for metastatic disease, her fourth chemotherapy regimen ever, you know, the extent to which we're going to extend her life as a result of treatment instituted now versus a little later is highly questionable the main reason we pursue treatment is either to improve quality of life or to prevent a fall in quality of life in the near future. And the key is not to make the treatment worse than the disease. I mean, these are often the situations where you say to yourself, I almost wish I didn't know that it were worse now. And I think it's one of the reasons why when someone's clinically doing well in this kind of situation that, you know, extending the interval between scans and evaluations is often something that's reasonable to do. So, you know, we talked with her about the various options and tried hard to select one that would minimize the negative impact on her day-to-day quality of life. What were the options you discussed with her? Well, we talked about going back to a taxing because she had responded well to a taxane. It was stopped really because of neuropathy. Hadn't been that long ago, though, that she had stopped. It was within six months. Which taxane? I think you can choose any. Often I tend to choose a different one because maybe there's a little extra increased response rate, so I might have gone with a Braxane. I find that it's more tolerable than Taxotere in many patients, particularly if you're going to do it weekly, but I don't feel strongly about that. Now, what happened with her? She had nephrotic syndrome? or Well, 
while she was on initially for her first metastatic disease, Avastin and Taxol, she developed severe neuropathy and the hypertension, which is why we stopped. The nephrotic syndrome developed when we restarted the Avastin with the Zolota. And that went away when she stopped it? It did, yeah. She has no protein in her urine right now. What other choices do you talk about? And we talked about the uh, pofalone, Izempra, as you brought out. I don't have that much experience. I have a couple people who've started it recently, but neuropathy is, if anything, even more of a concern. So we talked about that. And we also talked about gemcitabine. And really, when after discussing with the patient, it seemed like that made the most sense in terms of her immediate quality of life. And I think what we discuss is that we didn't really have any evidence that one choice was better than the other in terms of response, that at least we knew the gemcitabine would probably be better in terms of side effects. So what did you recommend to her? So today she was started on gemcitabine as a single agent. What about bevacizumab in this situation, Eric? No way? Yeah, pretty much no way (laughs) Um, for at least a couple of reasons. So one... You know, she has already had two bevacizumab-containing regimens. One can debate whether it should have been given a second time. So there, you know, we have no data in terms of what it would add in terms of efficacy. In Kathy Miller's study comparing capecitabine versus capecitabine plus bevacizumab in patients who had received multiple prior therapies, and there, even in patients who hadn't had prior bevacizumab, it didn't add to a significant degree. And the other issue here, of course, is the fact that she had a clear bevacizumab-induced toxicity. So I think that there's no question here that, you know, if you look at risks and benefits, clearly adding bevacizumab would be much more in the risk column than the benefit column. Have you seen nephrotic syndrome yourself? Yeah, not commonly. Hypertension is, of course, more common than nephrotic syndrome. And while you can see some protein spillage in the urine, you know, frank nephrotic level proteinuria is pretty uncommon. I'll just mention one thing, which I had mentioned to Mike earlier today, which is that, you know, as our treatments for triple negative breast cancer improve, unless those treatments penetrate the CNS, I think there's reason to believe that we're going to have another problem in terms of CNS disease in patients with triple negative breast cancer, similar to what we have in HER2 positive breast cancer. And there have now been a couple of reports that the incidence of CNS disease in patients with triple negative disease is really quite high. The difference between triple negative disease and HER2 positive breast cancer, though, is that most of these patients, when they develop CNS disease, have progression at other sites. Most of them are treated with whole brain radiotherapy or occasionally SRS alone. And the unfortunate part is they just don't live long enough because of their extra CNS disease to develop complications from progressive CNS disease. But, you know, we can only hope that we'll get better control of the disease. And if that's the case, we may then have to deal with what's going on in the brain to a greater extent.